Tonight's reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um, well, what we're doing over the uh, next few weeks at the 7 o'clock service is looking at various life topics. And last week, Paul started us off helping us uh, examine why we use the Bible to inform uh, our thinking and hopefully our living. Uh, Mark has come up with, I think, the most 1960s psychedelic sermon series slide that I think we've, we've ever had. Uh, but we're going to look at life and how our faith makes a difference to the way in which we live. We're going to look at different subjects. We're going to look at things like resilience and success and self-care and identity. And this evening, we're beginning by looking at a subject that, if we're honest, we don't often talk about in the church. And we don't often talk about as Christians. I was thinking this week, uh, as I was um, thinking about tonight... I don't think I've ever given or heard a talk on this subject. And the subject is that of ambition. Ambition. Because if we're honest, it's not something that sits easily with us as Christians. And some of us don't know what to do with it. Um, we might agree with Johnny Depp, the actor, who said that ambition is a dirty word when you've made as much money as he has, you can say that probably. Um, but ambition is a dirty word. And as I've thought about it, and as I've read about it, and as I've Googled it and done whatever on the internet, it often depends what people think about ambition as to where that ambition is aimed at. According to the band Radiohead, ambition makes you look pretty ugly. How we regard ambition often does depend on the context. So, for example, Georgie, who uh, read our Bible reading a few minutes ago, um, you might not know, but Georgie is a top elite athlete. Um, she is, what are you in the, in the squash terms? Third in Scotland. Third in Scotland, okay, so she's quite good. She's quite good. Round of applause for Georgie, okay? Now, when it comes to sport, when it comes to Mo Farah, when it comes to Usain Bolt, when it comes to an athlete, when it comes to an artist, when it comes to an actor, when it comes to a footballer, perhaps, ambition is seen as a good thing. So the fact that Usain Bolt wanted to run faster and faster and faster 
we think that's a good thing. The fact that Mo Farah wants to run further and further and further, we think that's a good thing. An actor trying to be the best that they can be, that's seen as a good thing. An artist just finishing off that last final piece and taking years and years and years over a piece of of art, that's seen as a good thing. Ambition in that context is a good thing, whether it's swimming or running or cycling or jumping, a Chris Hoy or a, a Hussein Bolt, ambition is a good thing. And then if you think about academia or medicine, if you're a doctor or a research student, an ambition to cure cancer or reduce suffering or a disease is praised, encouraged and supported. And who could quarrel with the ambition to make poverty history or to reverse climate change or to end homelessness on the streets of Scotland? Those are good ambitions. But think of a different context. Think of a stockbroker. Think of a politician. Think of a dictator. Think of a person in business. Well, in that context, ambition is often perceived as a bad thing, a dangerous thing. Maybe like me, you watch The Apprentice and there's that first opening episode where you're getting to know the different candidates and there are those cringe-making moments when one of them says something that they're the best that there will ever be and that the clip is played over and over again and becomes a sort of meme for them over the next few weeks as they're proved to be a plonker um, right in front of the nation. In that context, saying, I'm the best or I want to be the best is not something that we think is very good. It's not something to be nurtured, encouraged, or even acknowledged. Think about a politician. That question comes. Do you have any ambitions to lead your party? And it's often met with a sort of self-conscious, well, no, I couldn't possibly, no, no, no. And Michael Gove wasn't the first, and he won't be the last politician, to, to trip on his own words because he gave an interview about six or seven years ago where he actually said these words, I lack the stamina and temperament to be prime minister. Well, when he started his leadership campaign to become prime minister, guess what was the first quote that was dug out and used against him? Politics is not seen as a context, as an area where you can be ambitious, even though we know everybody is. So does ambition depend on the context? Jean-Pierre Garnier, the head of multinational pharmaceutical firm GlaxoSmithKline, said, I don't know anyone who is passionate and unsuccessful. We all have ambitions, if we're honest. When I was younger, I had ambitions. Look at me now. But when I was younger, I wanted to either be a sports journalist or to be an advocate, a barrister, a lawyer. Those were the two ambitions that I had in life. I discovered that Kathy's previous boyfriend um, is now a very, very successful sports journalist. I'm not bitter. Um, It's quite an interesting experience when your wife's ex comes on the radio doing the job that you always wanted to do. It's quite a sort of humbling moment. Um, But that's okay. But is it okay now for me to be ambitious as the leader of P's and G's? Is it okay for me to say, I want to lead the best church in Scotland? 
Is that okay? What criteria would we use to measure the best church in Scotland? Would it be the size of the attendance? Would it be the numbers who come, the numbers who call Peace and G's home? Would it be the number of people that we send? Would it be the generosity? Would it be the size of our budget? Would it be the number of baptisms that we have each year, the number of conversions, the number of people who attend the Alpha course? Would it be how long my talks are? I don't know. Would that be a criteria that we'd use to measure what is the best? Maybe it would be more things like the fruit of the Spirit. If we were known as a kind church, a generous church, a gentle church, a gracious church, a welcoming church, a warm church, a hospitable church. And where does faith fit into all of this? If you think about the Bible, where are people in Scripture who are ambitious? both in the Old or in the New Testament. Was Paul, for example, the early church leader, ambitious? Was Jesus ambitious? Is it okay for a Christian to be ambitious? Ray Kroc is one of the founders of McDonald's, and he spoke for many when he said this, I speak of faith in McDonald's as if it were a religion. I believe in God, the family, and McDonald's, and in the office the order is reversed. I believe in McDonald's, the family, and in God. And yet the life of Jesus demonstrates again and again laser-like focus and ambition. He's described as setting his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. There's that moment in Luke's gospel where he just turns towards Jerusalem, and after that, nothing else is going to get in the way of him going towards the cross. When others try to distract him, his disciples try and dissuade him and say, no, you can't go there, you can't go there, you mustn't be crucified. And they, they try and tell him that he's wrong. Again and again, he just focuses. Other people try to dissuade him. Other people try to distract him. Other people will bring their own agendas to Jesus. But he stays resolutely focused on what he believes God the Father has called him to be and do. And that has surprising consequences. He leaves sick people unhealed. It's got a curious incident in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, where Jesus goes to this place called Capernaum, and he does heal lots of people. But the next morning he goes to pray and then says, let's go somewhere else. And he leaves sick people unhealed in Capernaum. He didn't heal everybody in Palestine when he was there in the first century. He refuses again and again to go for the easy and the popular options, and it results with him ending up on a Roman cross, dying not despite his ambition, but because of his ambition. The early church leader, the Apostle Paul, shows again and again ambition. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I want to become all things to all people in order that I might win some for Christ. Paul, again and again, is ambitious. He speaks, though, against selfish ambition. Writing to the church in, in Philippi, he tells them, do nothing out of selfish ambition. 
but rather consider others better than yourselves. So there's good ambition and there's bad ambition. Speaking of good ambition and bad ambition, I want to introduce two people. Uh, Tim and Kirsty, if you want to join me up here. Um, they're not, give them a round of applause. You can tell LC19's over, we had stagehands and everything for that, but you've got to do it yourself now. So this, this isn't good ambition and bad ambition, this is um, two good people. If you're going to sit over there, Tim, and I'll sit on that one. There you go. And the microphone's on. It's a bit high. Do you need a leg up? You're right. Yeah. Um, not you. I was referring to Kirsty. <laughs> this is Tim's legs. birthday, by the way. Oh, thank you. And Tim, Tim, it's his birthday, and Tim has been interviewed at the 11 o'clock and the 7 o'clock. He's done more at church than I have today, and it's his birthday. Let's give Tim a round of applause, shall we? So... Ambition. Do you want to, first of all, introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about yourselves? Kirsty, who are you? Uh, I'm, I'm Kirsty. I am good. Ambition. I'm stealing that one now. Um, I, I'm normally at the 11 o'clock service, although this is my second time at the 7 o'clock in a couple of months, which is more than the past Steady. few years. You know, you know how to have a good time when you go for a night out, don't you? Well, indeed. Um, so I am normally at 11 o'clock. Um, I have a husband, Callum, and two small boys who are uh, small and blonde and generally moving very fast or climbing pillars or doing things they're not supposed to. Uh, but during the week, uh, I work in marketing. I head up marketing for an educational tech company called Sumdog, which if you have children, then you'll know what Sumdog is. If you don't, it'll just go straight over your head and that's okay. It's an app that helps people do maths. Yes. Kids play games and the teachers do all their reporting and setting tests and things in the background, so everyone's a winner. And you're in charge of marketing it? Yes. As she has just done. Okay, Tim? Um, hi, my name is Tim. Um, I have got two teenagers that are hiding right now, Caitlin and Douglas. And, um, oh, no, not, not so much. They've been exposed. And, um, and Catherine, um, who has a good friend called her double bass. You might see her around sometimes with her double bass. His name is Bertie. Bertie, okay. Um, and what, what, when you're not here, what, what are you doing the rest of the week? So my job is, um, recently I've been appointed as Chief Executive of YouthLink Scotland. It's the National Agency for Youth Work and we represent about 100 organisations. Um, organisations like Bernardo's, Prince's Trust, LGBT Youth, Script Union Scotland, Church of Scotland, a number of voluntary organisations and 32 local authorities that do community education and youth work. And we are like an umbrella organisation. We do strategy, policy around a range of issues like education, health and wellbeing. And that's uh, quite interesting. It's quite fun. Yeah. Okay, so how, how do you both handle ambition? Kirsty, how do you handle ambition? You grew up in a Christian home. I did. You did. Um, and... How, I mean, was it talked about? Was it encouraged? I mean, I know your mum and dad, so... Yeah, so, so I grew up at a place called Abernethy, um, which um, hopefully some of you have heard of. Um, but the, um, growing up there was, was a bit of a, a mixture. So there was um, the... Um, it was very instilled in me from a very young age that um, service was just a given, that um, serving and living out your faith in that way was, was something we did. And it, it wasn't about... Um, 
about ambition at that point. It was, it was just about, this is just what we do. But what I quickly realized was actually that um, my dad was running Abernethy at the time, and, um, and so actually his ambition was a very godly one because he would, uh, the hours that he put in were ridiculous at times, um, but it was always about uh, pushing Abernethy. The, the McDonald's uh, quote before kind of made me laugh because it was kind of, God, family, and Abernethy uh, was the way that I grew up. But it was always God at the front, then Abernethy, and then family at the back. But actually, it was never, um, it was never in a negative way. It was, it was very inspiring to want to, um, to have that kind of an impact. And, um, and so then growing up, I, I then kind of took that with me, but also took a bit of a, um, an ambition that I was going to do anything but end up in any kind of mission, because that's where I grew up in it. I wanted to just go and do something else. And, um, uh, and so I, I followed that route for a while. Um, and I went and I went into the corporate world and I, I did psychology at university. Said I didn't want to be a psychologist, so I did marketing. And then I went on and had a number of jobs and then stayed with a, um, with a big firm called uh, Wood Mackenzie for 12 years. Um, but then last year, um, about 12 months ago, started feeling God saying, okay, great, you got to director, well done, but that's not actually what I've got in mind for you. Um, and that was really hard because I felt like I'd worked really hard to get to that point in this corporate world. And then it was, I was like, well, okay, God, well, if you're telling me I've got to be doing something else, once you've put that in front of me, I'm there. I'll go, I'll apply for it, I'll go and do that, but I'm not leaving my comfort zone because I worked hard to get here. Um, and, and so it was a, a really difficult thing for me that actually towards the end of last year, um, it became very difficult for me to stay where I was. Um, that, that it wasn't a case of you could, I could just carry on and impress with that next promotion because there was always another promotion to be had. Uh, but it was, I felt God saying to me, no, I'm going to make this comfortable place really uncomfortable for you because there's something else I want you to do. And I actually, when the song came up, uh, Oceans, earlier, I was having a bit of a chuckle to myself because it came on in the radio in the car uh, on the way here. And, and it has come up a lot of times over the, uh, the past few months of having, wait a second, I've got to actually take a step out of this boat here. Um, and and I'm taking a step out, and I might never get to the same stage as I am right now. So I might never have that position of being in charge of something, of actually having, um, having a team and having security and people respecting that I know what I'm talking about. Um, but I did it, and I had three months of just feeling a little bit lost, but just having to work through that before the right thing came along. So it was, it was hard, actually, feeling like I've got all this ambition and then not knowing what to do with it um, and trying to work out how do you make it a godly thing? How do you make it so that it's not just about what you're doing in your work life because you're going to um, achieve more and progress up? And Tim, you've been on a bit of a journey because well, that's a cliche, but um, it's not the X factor. Um, but are you, because now, you, I mean, much to your surprise, you're the chief exec. Talk us through the process and how you sense God leading you, because you were working for that organization already, um, and then you became aware that this vacancy might be coming up. Tell us about the next few months and how you got your head around that. Right, that's a slightly different question. That's yeah. interesting. Um, yeah, no, I think um, there, there is this thing that when you're an internal candidate, I suppose, and I was deputy, that there's a kind of expectancy that you might go for it, but actually... 
you know, for a kind of peer amongst peers type thing, it would be useful for the organization to go elsewhere. So I kind of knew that was in the ether, but I decided that and had a sense that I should go for it. But I actually came at a time when I was probably at my most um, down, negative. Um, I'm, I'm very clear, and I'll maybe talk about this in a minute, that God has a calling on my life, and that's how I would frame ambition. So like, like you, Kirsty, the word ambition Selfish ambition and vain conceit, vanity and pride is the opposite of the kind of Protestant work ethic mindset of serving and, you know, seeing where God leads you. Um, uh, so I think um, I was very conscious that I was actually at quite a weak point and I had to be fully dependent on God and I had to pray to God, was this the right thing? But everybody around me was saying, you've got to go for that. That's, that's for you. You've got to go for it. What are you talking about? So I spent a lot of time speaking to different people, asking people to pray for me. And um, it was very much, I suppose, when you have a kind of clear calling in your life, especially as a Christian, because I've been involved in Christian youth work, and um, it was very direct. I, got, I knew God wanted me to tell young people about Jesus. I knew he wanted me to tell young people to come to faith. Um, and then when you move more into sort of gradually more into more of a secular context, although there are Christian organizations as part of that as well, um, you feel maybe you've left something of that behind, but you're still praying, you're still a Christian. And it was almost as if God was just saying, mm, no, this is part <laughs> of the whole big thing. Uh, so in a time of weakness and, and sort of feeling down on myself, um, I must admit, I spent a lot of time praying and worshiping and panicking and stressing and all of those things. Um, and I happen to know that my family, um, although they gave me lots of support from behind, did tell me after I got the job, they waited until afterwards, they said, oh, we had totally written off your chances. We got into the car, we went to school that morning, um, dropped, dropped them off at school, and my wife's a teacher, and they all went, nah, he's not getting that, he's not getting that. And actually, in terms of where I was and my mindset and, and everything, I wouldn't have been getting it. I literally felt lifted up by the prayers of people. And when I went into the interview, it just, I was just ready for it. So, so, so how, how then have you got your head round ambition? So I think, I think for me, um, I maybe need to expand my view of what God might want because um, in terms of calling, um, there was a phrase actually at the um, conference that we were at, and it was David Oyelowo, I think that's how he says his name. So he was an actor and he's really, really good. And one phrase stuck out, which was, stay in the lane of your calling. And I've always had a great sense that God has some kind of plan and purpose in my life in terms of work and in terms of family life. But that phrase, if I had been thinking about that narrowly, the lane of my calling would have kept me in a very narrow place. But actually, I've been more the case of, let's give this a try. If God's leading me here, I'll go there. And he's got it. I don't need to panic and worry too much. So in a sense, um, in terms of God's ambition, it's much bigger than I might imagine it's maybe taken me to a broader place than I thought I was going to be, um, you know, earlier on. So I think for me, in terms of handling ambition, it's about there's lots of good to do's and then there's God to do. So for me, and I'm noticing in the kind of role I'm in at the moment, that's increasing. I mean, I could be having parliamentary receptions, chats about this, chats about that, being on certain committees, you know, that would be you know, seem to be a career-y thing to do, but I just need to know what, where I'm being led in terms of my work, and, uh, you know, that's very much about, yes, trusting the professional colleagues I have to help me, direct me, but also to listen to God. 
So, Kirsty, do, do you think God's ambitious? Yeah, I think it, 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 it's funny because ambitious is, it can be such a dirty word. Johnny Depp's got it right. That we, we think of it as, what are we going to do? But it's actually turning everything around and thinking, what's God going to do through this? So every situation that you go into thinking, okay, God, what, what do you actually want to come out of this situation? Because it could be that I just look at it in terms of um, where I'm going, but taking that step back and thinking, okay, there's, there's, there's a bigger, uh, bigger thing going on here than just me. Um, and actually, when you start seeing um, it from that further back view, then you start seeing what else is going on around and the fact that God's using everyone in little pockets to do different things that's all coming together. Um, and um, I think one of the, recently I heard someone talking about this and saying, um, it's almost about looking at your, um, wherever you are as your front line. So actually God can be using you whether you're in a supermarket, just there was a lovely um, analogy and it was that there's um, a little old lady who just feels like she's got nothing that she can give, but actually her going into her local supermarket and smiling at some of the other shoppers who might be having a horrendous day or week, and just her going and smiling at people as she wanders around and picks up a couple of things, that actually is a really important thing for her to be doing. Um, and so it's then thinking about it in that context and saying, yes, God is ambitious, that there are big things. He would love everyone to be in a relationship with him, um, but actually there are little things that he's ambitious about too, of, of helping each of us kind of realize our potential um, and help each of us to feel like we're part of it, that we're all playing a different little part. And Tim, what do you think God's ambitions are for us? Yeah, I, th I think they're huge and um, it's quite exciting when you think about creation, you think about that song we sing, So Will I. <laughs> you know, God is, is hugely ambitious for, um, for his glory and for his people. Um, so think about creation, you think about Jeremiah and the prophets and the plans that they have for us and you know if you steep yourself in those prophets and the Psalms and you, you see that kind of up and down curve but at the same time God is always leading that. Um, Jesus said I have um, come that you might have life and have it to the full and one particular passage in Ephesians has really struck me a lot over the last little while which is that God is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or even imagine. So our ambitions, dreams for what we think God might do, and then his ones through us are so much bigger. So that's it's quite exciting and daunting at the same time. That's great. Thank you very much. Let's give him a round of applause, shall we? I'm going to suggest that we stand and uh, ask, going to ask the band to come back up. Understand, please. That verse that uh, Georgie read for us a few moments ago from Colossians 3, um, it speaks about whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do. And that means whether it's paid employment, whether it isn't paid employment, whether it's a position like Tim's, where much to his surprise, he's, he's the chief exec of an organization, or whether you're unemployed, whether, you know, the, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's a great moment at the end of the film, Billy Elliot, 
uh, when Billy Elliot is being uh, interviewed for a place at the Royal Ballet uh, with his dad. And he nearly blows the interview because he's so nervous. And then one of the interviewers on the panel at the Royal Ballet says, what do you feel when you dance? And Billy Elliot says, electricity. I feel electricity. That's another way of expressing a call, a vocation. It's what the network calls your passion. If you've never done the network course, I really commend that to you. Because we believe passionately that God has a call upon every single person's life. There is something that he's placed in your heart, in your mind, a dream, an ambition, a hope, a desire. That if money was no object, time was no object, and you could do anything for God, that is your passion. Something that makes your heart beat faster. Something that energizes you. Some of us are privileged and we get paid to fulfill our passions. Other people, don't, that's not necessarily what happens. They have a, a paid job and that enables them to then use the rest of their time to fulfill their passion. But God has a passion that he wants and has probably already given to you. And we just want to give some space and some time to allow the Spirit of God to come and to rekindle something perhaps. Or maybe for the first time, to, to widen your thinking that God might have put something in you. Let's pray together. Spirit of God, we're just inviting you again to make yourself known. And we're inviting you to come and to stir our hearts and our minds. Thank you that you are ambitious for us. That you have plans and dreams and desires. That you want to give to us, maybe for the first time, or rekindle something that you said to us years ago. Just wonder this evening whether there are people, and what's coming into your mind now is a dream that you had years ago and you've been told that you're too old to do it, or you're too young to do it. You're not qualified to do it. You might have been the wrong age. You might have been the wrong gender. But God is saying to you tonight that he's calling you. He's given you gifts and he's given you experiences. And he's calling you out again to echo the words of oceans. He's calling you out into the deep waters where you have to trust him and to keep your eyes on him.
where just as he called Kirsty out of somewhere that was comfortable to somewhere that was uncomfortable, he's calling you to those deep waters. For some of us, what's popping into our heads and minds is something that actually seems too enjoyable to be of God. That Protestant work ethic that Tim referred to often had this idea that the more miserable and difficult something was, the more godly it was. It's not actually an accurate picture of, of what God calls us to. doesn't mean it will be easy, but often when we're using the passion and the gifts that God has given to us in the right way, in the right context, we actually feel a sense of God's pleasure, his smile on us. Maybe for some of you this evening, there's that sense that you've been enjoying something and you've actually been feeling guilty about it. And God wants to say to you this evening, it's of me. That enjoyment you have is, is my pleasure in you using the gifts that I've given to you. That line again from that interview with the Oluwayo, stay in the light lane of your calling. Let's get the sense that that's for someone here tonight. So we're going to continue to worship, to respond.